on today's show. We are getting to know Jen. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. And Jen is automatically a top five beach hair, don't care, hoodie wearer who's come on the pod. Thank you so much, Jen, for making time to come on. I really appreciate you uh, letting people get to know you. My pleasure. It's um, it's funny you had brought up like the hey, how do I look? Because so many people are so relieved when it's like, no nah, man, it's just audio, no video, <laughs> just audio. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's a stereotype, but especially for women, you know, because we have, there's more effort we could make. It's a bigger, bigger spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that so and I I should be a better host. Um, You're getting ready to go on tour. And you're a really big fucking deal. Um, You sing, Uh, you write, you're an actress, you're I was like, I didn't realize how long you'd been in music and how much you've done when I messaged you at first and then you're like, holy shit, man. Like you're, you're a legit, legit musician and you're amazing. Your voice is great. The folk bluesy jazzy stuff. You've apparently toured for like 58 years or something like that. (laughs) Don't age me that much. Um, I think it's been 14 years on the road. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah, I'm tired. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually okay because of uh, the pandemic, which was, you know, such a shift. Yeah. 
but you're getting ready to kick off a tour, correct? Yes. The first multi-night tour in how long have we been doing this pandemic thing? In two years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, right. It was like March. Yeah, right. So it has. It's reached the two years since the shutdown. Yeah. Yeah. So... Did you miss it? Were you glad to get the break? Did you need the break? <laughs> I did need the break. And I, I mean, gosh, it sounds so terrible, but I was um, happy to have the break. And um, I mean, I, I, the, the reasons are terrible, but yeah, the truth, the truth of the matter is that um, these are probably the most prolific, productive, um, creative, collaborative two years of my life. So just, you know, taking that time off the road, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh yeah, I just, I can write a song while I'm on the road, you know, from in between these cities. Like, that's just not me. I have to stop and and focus. So getting that time, that forced time and not worrying about the next tour and not really worrying about marketing was so nice. Um, at first I was afraid that I, I wouldn't know how to just like sit down and force myself to do the work, but, um, it happened. And it also just gave me the opportunity to collaborate with people in a way that I haven't before. Um, for instance, my best friend and I, we've been best friends for 20 years. We're both professional singers, performers, musicians, artists, and we decided to start a band because why not? And, uh, (laughs) So we released our album in May, like two months after the pandemic had started. Um, And then our publicist came up with this like digital tour instead of an actual tour where we just like did performance videos and released them on certain websites. Um, So that was fun and interesting. And then um, I, an artist named Alfred Howard, who's in San Diego, California, I'm in Portland, Oregon. He contacted me and was like, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm a lyricist and nobody's doing anything right now. So I'm reaching out to all the people that I've ever wanted to collaborate with. And I'm going to send them lyrics, all my favorite artists. And I'm going to put out two songs a week for a year. And I was like, cool, I'm in, send me your lyrics. And he happens to be a genius. And so I think I ended up doing um, maybe five six maybe even seven songs for that project (laughs) and now we are just going to do a full album together because the collaboration is so easy it's so fun he's so inspiring and um yeah so those are two of the albums i made um (laughs) i made a third live one out of like pushing all of the pulling all of the uh my best performances from live stuff and putting out my first official live album and performed a a musical that I had written. It was, it was bonkers. I know I'm going on and on and on, but I was like, it was just, it was, I hadn't done anything like that in a decade. How would you have the time with all the touring? Right. And that's something I'm not a creator. So, so I'm a teacher, I guess I create like lesson plans and stuff, but (laughs) I, I don't have to like go to different cities and get students to buy tickets, to sit in chairs, to learn from me while I'm then trying to create and keep up with whatever trends and develop as an individual. You know, like I have a forced audience. (laughs) They have to sit in their seats. They don't get to leave. And like they go away (laughs) and then I get time to reflect and think. I don't have to like 
hop on a bus and you know, like you're in Oregon, you're getting ready to come to the East coast, right? Like that's travel. Travel usually sucks. So oh gosh, I think yeah. that's Logistics very, bonkers. dude, I can't imagine like, yeah. <laughs> right. Like how many people have lost a bag just flying versus, Hey, we've actually got to have equipment, get to places on time. Let's make sure it. So anyway, all that to put it into context of like, I, you can understand after 14 years or so, like, Hey man, it'd be nice to have a home base that you can count on a Monday being in a place on Monday and like, let your mind drift and wander and not be so pragmatic. That's awesome. You got that. Yeah. I think pragmatic is, is the word. Like I think sometimes people have this misconception of artists just being kind of like, woo woo, or, you know, always in this creative place where I'm, it is about like, how am I going to pull my rent together? You know, how am I going to make these tour logistics work? What are the costs of certain things like marketing budgets? Like everything is so technical and, um, this, yeah, so this was a shift. This was quite a shift. And it's also interesting that um, when I started touring, I made a living based on CD sales. Do you remember <laughs> CDs? Um, <laughs> I actually saw one of your, um, I forget what the article was, but it gave a shout out. And I'm not sure um, if it's your husband or someone now, but your boyfriend who is a military purple heart, like super decorated captain. And, but the CDs sales were mentioned like crazy. And there you were like, so happy that someone bought six CDs to give away. And it was pretty clear. Like that was a point of emphasis at that time in your life. It was like, buy my merch for the love of God. That was how I made a living. Literally based off of those shiny reflective coasters. Um, they, I just, yeah, it was crazy. Like when I first got out on the road and I was like, well, can I do this? I went to an open mic and I was just, my concept was I'll sell you one CD for 15 or two for 20. Right. And the great thing about an open mic is people can decide like that if they love your voice, Yeah, you know, so I would just sing two songs and then I'd sell like 20 CDs. So I was like, okay, this works, you know, as long as I'm fully on the road. Cause I didn't, I literally gave up my apartment. So I didn't have rent isn't like overhead and um I just sold massive amounts of CDs and I made sure I played an open mic any night that I was free you know right and I just traveled around and as time went on you know I started getting better and better gigs and better paying shows and the CDs were still great but I would say about four years ago you know there was a steep decline and I feel like I was even one of the lucky people that was holding on with great CD sales <laughs> towards the end because I have maybe a slightly older demographic in terms of um, my fan base. And so they're still, either they have a CD player for some reason, or there's a CD player in their car, or they just really, you know, understand the concept of like, I will buy this CD almost just as a symbol yeah. of my support, not because I'm going to play it. Um, so then as it started going down, I jumped on Patreon, which I don't know if you are familiar with Patreon. Yeah, are so I, I, I do. And I, I was looking at yours and I don't really do content. I basically, I set one up for the podcast to be like, hey, if you want to pity Patreon me and try to help me keep up like my <laughs> subscription so I could break even, you know, trying to find advertisers and all that. And um, so yes, all that to say, I'm familiar with Patreon. I was resistant at first and not to crap on Patreon, but for the smaller donations, you loot, like there's a lot of lost income that goes to Patreon. 
So like if someone donates a dollar to me, I want to say it was like 30 or 40 cents of that goes to Patreon and I'm seeing like 66 cents of that. Well, I signed up early enough that I'm grandfathered into their first iteration. Oh, so um, they take 10% for me. It's 5% goes to Patreon and 5% goes to credit card fees. Okay. So just flat dollar, it's 10 cents. They take $10. It's a dollar they take. Um, About, yeah. Dude, that, yeah, see the flat tax, not not to get all political, but I'm a proponent of the flat tax. I enjoy yeah. Just make it even. Oh, okay, so that that's actually nice. So when people are giving it to you, they know 90% of what they're given goes to you and supports you, which, I mean, Patreon is doing the work to like bring it together. Like they do deserve money for that. Um, that's awesome. Because yeah, Cause, yeah the, it's the spot. And that was what I was um, telling you before we were recording. It was like, hey, I was playing your music on Spotify so you could get your three-tenths of a cent per play. And yeah. I've had other artists on, they're like, yeah, man, we made three original songs. Please play them. We get 0.13 cents per play at this point. And you're like, that's heartbreaking. To think about yeah. a CD that's 15 bucks compared to, hey, play my one song. And if you do it 10 times, I get three cents. Right. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> as streaming was happening and CD sales were going down, I mean, I'm so lucky that I found Patreon. I watched it for a year. I, I supported some artists and was like, I think this is the thing for me. And I am so, so lucky because the way that I've set it up, it just really incentivizes me to keep creating. Everything I make, I share with my patrons and then they give me the dollar or whatever they've decided to um, contribute, even if it's in like a demo form. So there's this instant support built in for anything I want to make. So when everything shut down, it was like, oh, if I just write two songs a month, I'm going to be okay. And it was perfectly incentivizing. It was perfectly incentivizing. It was just like uh, such a, such a godsend. (laughs) So, so, so lucky. Um, And that's also part of why, uh, I mean, I think I would have been as creative anyway, but I had a way to support myself and support what I was working on. So, and I could make all the different types of music because I just set it up that way with my patrons. Like, this is my place to play and make anything I want. Yeah, it's it's a really cool, and again, I use it like crap, but from what I've seen, like it can be a really cool way to get some exclusive access to someone who creates. And it's not like just on Instagram where you get to view your one post. I think it was like, Hey, here's 30 seconds of me in a bathrobe. I've been singing (laughs) for three hours. And like you name the filter. And I think that was the post I saw. And I was like, shit, man, let me see if I can get her on the pod. That that's hilarious. But you don't really get any money for that. Like nothing comes back to you for that work. And it's not so much about the money, but like you've mentioned, like, Hey man, I, I do have rent. Like I do like to eat. <laughs> I'd like to retire, yeah. maybe get a savings account at some point. Like you do need to create money. And it always seems like it's this weird balance of how can I create and put out there and not be like a schmuck about like pay me, pay me versus I do kind of want to live a life where I'm not in poverty. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's sustainable and like it's, it hasn't been too, it doesn't, um, I don't break my back trying to like keep the Patreon thing up and going. It's very um, just conducive to how I already was living as an artist. So um, that's really nice. I also, (laughs) I do want to mention that 
you know, on Instagram, they do actually, if you post a video, they are now paying for content because they're trying to compete with TikTok, which I really loathe. I really love photos. That's as much as I love music. I like the format of Instagram as is, but they're trying to compete with TikTok. So they are paying artists and it's not a lot of money. It's not, I, you know, I can buy coffee with it. I would say, um, it's still like hundred times more than Patreon, oh, really? which I'm not sorry with the Patreon Spotify. So oh, okay. important to say corrections than Spotify. It's like, it is, it just blows my mind that it costs me thousands of dollars to make a track and put it out properly. And if it was just up to Spotify, I would never break even. You know what I mean? And if I take a 30 second video of me just singing something lame in my bathroom, in a bathroom, whatever, I've already made more money on that little tiny video that I have from Spotify on a track that I have put my heart and soul into. It just kills me. Have you ever heard or know like, well, like then why even post to Spotify? Is it just hopefully getting like that name recognition so that when you go on tour, you come up on someone's like random playlist. I think so. I think it's access and, you know, a certain type of exposure. I think my personal hope is that I win the lottery and someday I get put on like a editorial because I do have friends that have randomly been put on editorial playlists and then they can pay rent from Spotify, you know, but they're Uh, one of very, very few lucky ones. (laughs) <laughs> is the editorial, it's funny, I didn't think we'd go into like MBA type like business <laughs> conversations right away, but this is super interesting. Um, So like if you get on an editorial playlist, is it the amount of times you get played that brings in the pay or is it just something exclusive about like editorial now will pay you three cents instead of three tenths of a cent per play? I don't think, I, I'm not positive. I don't think your rate changes. I think it's just that the editorial playlists are just offered to people. And so the rate, the, the amount of times you're getting streamed is so many, uh, so many more than just if someone has to come seek you out to find your music. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I wanna say you might've been the third gen that popped up um, after I hit space after your second N. <laughs> and I've been Googling you too. So I don't know if like, you know how like I have an Android, so I'm never sure how all the apps talk or whatever, but you know, you go J-E-N-N space. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're the third one that popped up. I love it. All the high maintenance gens. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, dude, right? <laughs> We don't need that second end, but we want it. <laughs> um, does Apple, is Apple any better? Like if I were to, so I have a like Apple Unlimited. I think I pay a hundred bucks for, I can play whatever song. So if I play you on Apple, is that better, worse, indifferent? Don't know. Um, the rate is slightly better, but I I don't notice very much because I don't have uh even percent the smallest percentage even compared to Spotify like just don't have that many Apple listeners gotcha gotcha and do are you um do you trust the Spotify numbers when they give it to you or are you always like ah yeah <laughs> uh no I totally do like yeah. I I uh, gosh I, <laughs> I know like... I don't want to be like conspiracy theorist but I'm like 
it beats so and I, I guess maybe I'm just like a natural born cheater and hustler or something I'm always trying to get over I guess but I'm like how could artists actually verify it seems like YouTube you can see how many streams you have so then if YouTube was like hey you've only had 100 streams you're like uh on my screen it said I had a thousand this month right so like there's that automatic tracker I like I don't see that when i Pushed, when I was playing your songs today, I didn't see how many times it was streamed. So that made me think, you know, as I'm going through the Patreon, I'm like, the verification seems like there's a lot of trust from the artists that Spotify isn't like cooking the books, you know? Oh, yeah, there's no way for us to know. There's no way. And there definitely was a discrepancy one time between what my digital distributor screen showed and what the payout was. And of course, you know, we contacted them and they were just like, well, you know, there's, this is just what Spotify paid us. So, you know, and there's just like no way to contact anyone and be like, there was a discrepancy here. So I don't know if that was some sort of weird error or, but like, there's no one to call. There's nothing to, you know, like I, you're completely powerless. And <laughs> I don't want to get too far into just like the gripes of being a musician, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm recently they just launched this whole like transparency thing with Spotify oh. and it it's just at the front of my brain because I'm it was just so um somewhere between annoying and enraging because the information that they gave you in this video in all these videos that they made is not the information that you want or need or care about you know it's just like here's how much money artists made and you're like cool, how much money did you make as a company? <laughs> like, who cares how much you paid artists? Dude, they made enough to pay Rogan $200 million and Ben Simmons, right? or ben, you know, like, I mean, there's, yeah. dude, there's so many podcast guys. Bill Simmons, I think, and he's a legit podcaster, but like, I think he was $150 or You know, like, I mean, some of these dudes with downloads are getting bank. And you're like, yo, if you can do that, how much is your profit? Yeah, it's totally, uh, it just, there is no transparency. Like, I don't, like, it's, it's like, take, everything's taken out of context, kind of. Like, they're just like, here's some numbers. It's <laughs> just like, cool. That's like, it's just not cool. And um, they also, um, they, they don't talk about what the different rates are that people are getting. And they don't talk about, um, let's see, there was one other thing. I lost my trade at that. Probably because I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, no it is. Anyway, it was just the, the transparency that they're offering is is not helping anyone. Oh, I think it was like we've paid almost twenty thousand artists fifty thousand dollars. So I'm like, okay, first of all, how many artists are there? And you think <laughs> right. that paying twenty thousand artists fifty thousand dollars is some is like good like like that to me seems like such a tiny percentage of the people that are working artists on this platform that are making like enough money to live you know yeah it's and i i actually appreciate you getting into this because i've had several i think almost like 10 people who are music creators and a couple of them were more like starting and they've had some songs and they've paid people to help them make videos and like what you're talking about cost me thousands of dollars to get my emo to get my personal journal in melody out there. So I think a lot of people then get to this point where they're like, well, how can I do this? 
I have to hit the road. So now I'm trying to maintain a job. And then on top of it, go out all the time to like get my word out there. So I think, I, I don't know. I don't see it as like a crap fest. I, I see it as like very insightful of the struggle of people who are trying to be creative to make this their career, something that they love, make it a career because the CD sales, again, 50, how much, if you don't mind, like how much profit were you making on a CD? Um, I mean, so if I was doing my deal of, you know, one for 15 or two for 20, uh, which I have since let go of because now I'm just like, you want to buy a CD? Really? Like amazing, like whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think like the cost to print the CD is usually, I want to say, depending on the size of the order that you'll do, um, you can get your cost to about $2 a CD or less. Oh, wow. So you're making a great profit. Yeah. It's a great percentage. Yeah, because I mean... Or it was. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, even if you're clearing $10 a CD, just to make it simple, like 0.3 times by what gets you to 10 like that's a big ass number. Ten plays three, hundred plays thirty cents, a thousand plays three dollars. So that's ten thousand plays would be the equivalent to selling three CDs. Like mm -hmm. that's that's a lot. Of, that's a lot, a lot of streams to like what you were saying. I could probably sell three at every open mic I went to. You know, so yeah. just for context of like, hey, we want to support you for your dream. It really seems like it's nice that you get a follow on Spotify, but. If you're looking to support Jen, go to Patreon. <laughs> yeah, and that's like we're always thinking of different things. We're like, if you pay a dollar for a song on Patreon, that's like 333 spins in terms of or streams, and you know, like always looking at what those crazy numbers are. That it's just something like Patreon, even though yes, the way it's set up now is not as artist friendly in my opinion. But I was lucky enough to get in when it was so artist friendly and it just blows my mind that people can support me so directly on Patreon and that I'm so lucky to have that. Otherwise I just don't think I could do this job. What was your job? Did you have a career before you were musician? Uh, yes, I was a musical theater actress. No. <laughs> like, so I was a tap dancer. <laughs> you can tap dance. Oh yes. <laughs> do you ever break it out at your concerts now? Um, only in a very goofy way for like 20 seconds, if I'm really going to like, gotcha. you know, give like a rat-a-tat-tat. I, I think like a decade ago, I was like, what if I got a box and put a microphone in it and did some sort of looping with the tap? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, was, <laughs> I never, I never went down that never path. Followed through. <laughs> did someone talk you out of it? Or was that just you late at night picturing it and being like, there's nothing but downside here? Yeah, I mean, can you like traveling with a big wooden box and I'm, you know, setting up the microphone? I'm sure someone, someone, somewhere does it, but I was like, no, my end goal is to write great songs and sing them. Like, not to figure out how to do a tap dancing rhythm loop yeah, right. for my it, live shows. It reminds me, um, who is the dude, uh, um, Chim Chim Chimney? Well, Mary Poppins guy. Uh huh. What was that, Dick Van Dyke or something like that? I think so. I just remember, so like they made the remake and like when you're going to the park, the fact that he's got like the accordion, the knee cymbals, the harmonica, like it's a total show. And when you're talking about that, for some reason that like popped in my head, like, yeah, that just seems very cumbersome. It'd be easier yeah. if you just focused on, I'm gonna write songs and sing well. 
Yes. Yeah. Those are my goals. <laughs> so and that's curious too, the touring aspect of it. Do you, how big of a deal is it for you to go from like placed, like I know you're in Philadelphia on the, I think this Saturday coming up. Is that the 7th of May? Do you know, you just show up wherever somebody tells you to sing. <laughs> I, I think so. May 7th. That sounds right. Yeah, I feel like you've got like five or six shows. I was looking, it was like Philadelphia, Virginia, Connecticut, Jersey. Like it was just this triangle. And I'm worrying, I'm wondering if you're on the West coast, do you like rent a U-Haul when you land on the East coast? Is there some sort of like Uber thing that artists know that have like equipment trucks? How does that even, do you not even care? You're, you, that's why you got a person for it. Many, many times I have rented a U-Haul. Yeah. Many times. And I don't know, I don't know if I've ever talked to another artist about that, but um, yeah, like on tours where I used to tour with like an upright bass player, you know, and so even if you had a full band and you didn't have to bring back line, if you had that freaking upright bass, we'd have to have a U-Haul. So yeah, I've never talked about that on a, a podcast. I've never talked about it with another artist, but it was so cost effective. Um, instead of getting a big van, I've never been able to like afford a tour bus like the headliners I toured with have. But I'll be in my own car, and so I will get a U-Haul, and it's so cheap. And um, yeah, I can I can park a U-Haul, I and mean, it's really hard, but I've, I've back, learned how to do it. So. Yeah, I've, I've yes. a I'm not going to do that this time. We're taking two cars, which kind of sucks. But okay, so like, do you? Land, like land and I don't know why I get into these weird little insightful details of the logistics, but I worked with a guy who was a teacher and then it was a really big deal for his band to buy this van where they were able to bring their own speakers, their own keyboard. I think they had th the drum set and like they got it for a thousand dollars. And for some reason it extended the range of what they could travel because they didn't have to take two cars to fit all their shit. And it was just one of those things where you don't realize you're limiting your audience. And that's what I thought of. It was like, Oh dude. So like you can only go to Jersey or so far. Cause you have to be back after a certain amount of days, right? He can only tour on the weekends, but for you coming across country, you go to a Taylor Swift concert and she's got 38 vans back there or 38 tour buses that like have her name on it and all that. And then I'm like, how do you get over to city winery in Boston, Massachusetts on May 5th? I think that's where you start. Um, and like, <laughs> Like then what happens when you go to Rockwood Music Hall, New York, or maybe that was an old one. I just tried to Google real quick while you were talking. Uh, yeah, that was an old one. I think, gotcha. no, I am Rockwood this time. I thought, yes, I get my city wineries and my, all my music halls get mixed up, but um, yeah, I'm at Rockwood in New York this time. Gotcha. Um, well, the other thing that, that is um, unfortunate, but true is uh, when the pandemic started, I lived in, out of Nashville and uh, during the pandemic, I moved to Portland. And so I am just now facing the reality of the fact that I can't get in a car with a U-Haul and my band and drive to the East Coast. And so, it yes, it is a logistical nightmare. Um, I've been, like, rehearsing with a band on the West Coast so that I'm prepared when I meet the band on the East Coast. Oh. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the East Coast band has the set and the charts and all that stuff, but we won't get to rehearse until the day before. Got you. Got you. Um, and 
Yeah, so I went to a second site because now I'm like fact-checking myself. And it does say Boston, New York, Philadelphia, I don't know, man, Virginia, Annapolis. Like, it seems like you're rolling through a bunch of states real, real quick. And then I think the following week I'm in Ohio and Michigan with my best friend. So a different band. (laughs) No way. Different flights and stuff. Yeah. So it's it's just getting back to the chaos, basically getting back to the touring, which will be really interesting. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll just be super honest and just say like the, the sentiment is that, you know, for me and all my friends, musician friends I'm touring with, like, we're just after two years of a hiatus, it's so much effort to relearn how to tour and to relearn how to promote and market and put these sets together in these shows. And so we're just like, we keep joking. We're like, are we going to call this the, like, this might be my last one tour. (laughs) (laughs) This might be the end tour. If you don't come out and show up, this might be a tour. (laughs) Give us, give us six shows to remember how this works tour. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's just, it's uh, everyone's like, are you so excited? I'm like, I'm kind of terrified and just, I can't, I don't remember how to rehearse. Like I used to play so many shows a year. I didn't think about rehearsing. My show didn't change that much. Now I have so much new music and I don't remember how to sing, you know, (laughs) I'm a little freaked out, but people should totally come (laughs) (laughs) to to laugh as I crash and burn (laughs) or figure it out on the stage. Cause it'll be awesome. Very entertaining. If nothing else. Yeah. So like, what's your biggest fear? Like you'll forget a a new song that you haven't performed yet, or like you'll start singing some other song that like you're going to sing words and the band's going to be playing some other song. What's the biggest fear that will come true once you voice it and speak it into existence? (laughs) Um, I don't really have any fear about the band messing up in these scenarios or like me messing up. If there's like a total train wreck, I'll just be like, stop. start over if I was touring with somebody like if I was opening for somebody in a bigger support type slot then I would probably be terrified but because I'm expecting these audiences to be my audiences and friendly audiences I'm like whatever and um so I think my biggest fear is um what is my biggest fear Nobody shows up. That's a big fear. Um, the sound being terrible. That's, that's, that's always a fear or I'll have a, I don't, God, see, you're going to make me like manifest. This. Yeah, I, I know, don't want right? to, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're <laughs> right. It's like, but, but at the same time, it's like break a leg. Isn't that what you say to stage people? And then it's like, yes. that's a good luck thing. So aren't you supposed to like take the super negative and take it? You don't have to answer anymore. I, I appreciate it. Um, I, but like, it's interesting. Like, I don't know, man. I, I'm trying to think of like my biggest fear as a teacher. And it's what you said about touring teachers went through because we were teaching online for like three months real quick. Then we had time to prepare over the summer. And then it was like, Hey, this is what you do when kids are on zoom and you're trying to educate them. And then all of a sudden you have 30 kids in your class and it was like, wait, so we don't just put everything on a screen and like monitor them like prison guards as they're, we can do lessons again and like make it fun and interact. And it, it really did take a lot of teachers a while to get back used to it. So I can't imagine an artist just whatever vibing with the crowd and like knowing when maybe when to ad lib or knowing when to 
I don't know, man, like, like change something up, you know, that there's a feel to it. There's a art to it. Oh yeah. I mean, I would say for the last 10 years, people who know me and have been to my shows, like they know which song I'm going to start with. They know which song I'm going to end with. They know a lot of the jokes, like (laughs) my show had become written and because I didn't have time to write a bunch of new stuff. It would, it evolved very slowly. You know, it would be like, okay, I'll try one new song or I'll say something off the cuff and, and it's hilarious. So I will like keep it with me, you know, to the next show. It's like this really cool evolution of how like things become your show. Whereas now I'm like, Oh my God, I have three albums, three new albums. And like, what am I going to play? And what am I going to say? And what do I want the arrangement to be? What do I want the band to be? And like, it's over, super overwhelming. And part of me wants to just climb back into the hole and just keep writing. <laughs> it's really comfortable. Just hide. Um, <laughs> just live on my Patreon. <laughs> yeah, just Video live on my tales. Patreon. Because it's such a great creative outlet. Um, and it's uh, so unlimited in, in terms of what I can make on there. Um, so, and I also... I feel like I really, really wanted to do this podcast and get it out before the tour so I could like fire people up to come to the tour. And I will say like, I am really good at my job. Like I won't mess up too badly, but (laughs) I'm I'm really excited about the musical I wrote, which is such a different industry. And I don't have to be on stage for that one. And that's um, evolving and taking up a lot of my time and um, uh, getting it's, it's a much less um, a lonely job because there, I have like a creative team around me. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think it is because it takes the pressure off of um, <laughs> figuring out what my new show is. <laughs> you just put, so wait, so now if I'm tallying correctly, three albums and a musical two years during a pandemic or had like this, I had been working on the musical for like a few years before then. And then last summer there was this little window where we thought maybe the pandemic was going away. And oh, yeah. um, I remember that window. First time we, slammed, yeah. on, slammed on my fingers. The glass broke. I felt like it almost like killed me when it went through my neck, not to get too gruesome, but like it was so freedom. And then all of a sudden I was like, sorry, sucker. Yeah, it was so mean. It was it was so mean. Oh, and but we got together this cast of um mostly teenagers. They're mostly 18, 19 years old, which is great because that's how old the characters are. And we did this the first performance of it. And it was so cool. And now all these things are are happening. Um and I um I'm gonna write I have two more that are almost done in the hopper for this year. Two so, more musicals? No albums. Sorry, oh, all right. more so, albums. So it's let, like the the pro, the productivity continues, and it's. God, I don't. Yeah, know. you're making me question my life decisions right now. <laughs> that was that was actually the goal. You know, about forty minutes into a pod, most people who were talking to me, they're like, "You know what? I never thought about it that way." And then all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, just you know, there's so many parts of being an artist, and like, what is firing you up? And and, and I know. As soon as I get on stage, I will remember, oh my God, this is what I love most. But it's, and I did have a show, uh, three shows maybe back in um, 
So just one weekend back in November. And it was just like this, where I was just like, oh God, I'm so scared. And I'm so like, I don't remember how to do this. And then as soon as I got out there, I was like, I love it. So I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll remember, but it's hard to get there until the moment you step on stage. Right. What do you think about? Cause I mean, you just burst out into a huge smile when you were like, I love it. So like, what do you picture that makes you love it so much? Um, in that moment, I was picturing, um, I was at uh, Baltimore Soundstage. I don't know if you're familiar. I wish. It's in downtown Baltimore. I've got a 12-year-old. I basically get to go to happy hour before I come home for the last 12 <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> um, and I got to sing with a friend uh, named Joey Harkum. And uh, he tours a lot in your area. You should check him out. He's a rock star. You said you're in Delaware, right? Yep. Joey, yeah. so Dewey Beach would probably be our most famous, like lower Delaware, where we get pretty good acts um, mm -hmm. who come. Yeah, Joey Harkum, he's a rock star. He's just, he's the rock star. Like he's just one of those people. Like he doesn't even try. It's just in him. He just was born to do it. Um, and so he was doing this kind of reunion tour, uh, reunion show, like two show thing for a band called Pasadena. That was his band for maybe a decade before, or maybe longer before he went out as just uh, Joey Harkum. And so he flew me over and uh, to sing these three songs that we used to sing when we were on the road together. And it was the, like the sold out show. So it was like a thousand people not wearing a ton of masks, which was not great, but I mean, whatever. I, I, I was fine. And, um, <laughs> And he called me out on stage and I mean, it, it was just like, it had been so long. And so like to get called out and then have people like screaming and then to have them sing every single word of your song, it's just like, you're like, oh yeah, like this is the best job in the world. This is, I'm so lucky to do what I do. Got you. I've, I've never taught a lesson where children speak along with me as I'm making a point about a theme within like Percy Jackson, but I've heard from a couple artists when you get up there and it's something, not the cover band stuff, that's cool because you're like creating this moment, but something you created that deep down you were like, will people even like this? And it's not only <laughs> they like it, they want to yell it at the top of their lungs while I'm singing it, is like so, you're, you're just mind blown and so humbled by the fact that people appreciate it enough. Yeah, it's, yeah. I feel like Joey he writes a ton of songs like that where oh, yeah. people just know every single word. And so the fact that I contributed to this one gotcha. and they know my parts too, or there's, there's one, another song we do. And, um, at the end I just vocalize, you know, like these big Wah! type things. That was beautiful, by the way. I'm a professional. Um, <laughs> this is a terrible with, a, with a quality sound microphone in front of you. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. But I mean, it's like a big belt, like a big loud vocal that I don't want to do. So um, I just love that when I'm not there, the audience does that part. You know, oh, it's no like shit. That is cool. I just love that. So it was really cool that night when we did it too, because I was actually there. They're just like, the girl that does it on the record is here. Like, <laughs> but they all screamed it at the top of their lungs. It's just, it's just great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. almost, yeah. It sounds like just an in-person Patreon where like you, when you have that audience that knows you, it's like, you know, my little quirks, you know, the little things. And it's like, we're a club. 
other people don't okay. get it, but we all get it and we're all into it. And that's, yeah, yeah. I, I could see that being worth getting on stage. So how did you decide with your tour this time? Have you decided? Do you have a set playlist that people who are going to come out will actually uh, get to hear? Or do you think you're going to change it up a bunch? Um, I, well, here's the honest truth is that I, I started rehearsing a bunch of the new stuff with uh, the band on this side because I was like, you know, I've, I've arranged all of these things uh, on my computer for, you know, and some of them are released as singles on, on Spotify and other platforms, but um, I've never played them with a band. And so, you know, without having every digital instrument at my disposal, I have to figure out like what's most important. Like, am I going to have a keyboard player? Am I going to have a bass player, a cello? Sometimes I have string parts, you know, I have all these different parts of my arrangements. So I got together with a guitarist and a bass player and I started to try to figure out like what songs are going to be okay live, you know, given that I don't have like a 10 piece band. Um, and it was super stressing me out. And even though I am so excited about uh, the album that's coming out with Alfred Howard, I'm, I just, I started to get very, very overwhelmed. So then I looked at what's all, I literally wrote down every single song I'd released from those albums. And I was like, which ones have I done before at concerts? Like I do feel comfortable with and how many totally new ones do I feel comfortable throwing in? Um, because it's also weird to do an album and then not tour in support of it, gotcha. you know? So I'm, I'm just like, which one do I choose to support? I don't even know. That's a good so, Yeah. It's like a greatest hits that you've never gone through and found out what people really respond to as the greatest hits on the album. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So like you have, you can either set yourself up so that you're playing all this new stuff and none of them land. Yeah. And then it's a terrible show. That's or, so true. Because um, usually I'd write a new song, see how they respond, and that is, determines whether or not it stays in the live show, but I don't have that luxury. So I would say it's going to be about um, half of Go Mine, which is my studio album I released. That's my favorite um, so far, by the way. The live stuff was yeah. pretty good, but just I, I went for a nice little four-mile jog, so it was about like 35, 40-ish minutes, and I was mm -hmm. listening to Go Mine, and... um a couple of times I had to turn down the volume when you were um, belting because your voice like yeah. <laughs> it, it pops out, dude, you are powerful when you sing, but sorry to interrupt oh, wow. you. But yeah, that, that was the one I was jamming to. I really liked it. Cause it was just, it was so soulful. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to do half from that and then I will do half from the live album. Cause I just love the audience participation stuff. So people will be familiar with that. And then I'm going to do a third of uh, new stuff. So, um, I, especially, uh, I'm touring with Jesse Rubin and he and I wrote a song that I put out during the pandemic called easy this year. And it is very much about some of the stuff that everybody was going through, uh, kind of mentally. So I feel like it's a, it's a good one to, to roll out and just see if it's kind of cathartic for people. Um, yeah. And then all of the ones that all of the ones that I've put on Instagram that people have gone crazy for from the Al Howard album that's going to come out. So as a little way of like, okay, if that got a good response on Instagram. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe it'll get a good response live. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> dude, that's so scientific, right? Like, does it correlate? 
So whatever, one thing gets 10,000 likes, one thing gets 10 likes, and you're like, oh, the 10 like song, ditch that. And then you just assume a 10,000 like song is gonna hit. But do we have a track record of that? Like to have other people actually done that, is it a scientific theory? Is it a principle? Are we an exploratory string theory territory? I don't, <laughs> I, what I do know is it's always the opposite of what I like. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's so common between all my musician friends and I. It's like the song that you love most makes you the least money. <laughs> the song <laughs> that you love the least makes you the most money. And it's probably because as an artist, if you write something that feels like a little too universal, a little too um, familiar, um, it's something people can latch onto really quick and, and, you know, uh, see themselves in it. Right. Yeah. There's like that, that universal human experience sort of thing that you want people to tap into when they hear a song. Um, whereas if I write something super specific, it might not connect as quickly or as easily. So even though I love it cause it's super personal or, you know, something that I had to write for my own catharsis, it's the songs that, you know, I just, I'm thinking of a specific one that I've written called right from the start. And of course now I love that song and I love playing it. But when I first wrote it, I was like, is it too pop? Like, is it too, um, just, is it, I guess too pop was what I was worried about. And then, you know, the first time I played it, it was just one of those like songs. that just like instantly people were like, I'll buy it. You know, <laughs> like just <laughs> what CD is it on? I'm playing it at my wedding. Like it was, uh, it's been a really magical song for me, but I just remember, you know, like, are my super sophisticated songwriting friends going to respect that song? Sort of oh, thing? Is that why you worry about it being too pop? Cause there's like a, 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 a stank to like, Hey, it's almost too simple. And I, I know like nothing about music. I zero, like I'm not a musician. Yeah, I think so. I think if it's like too simple or if it, it's the same thing, like the song that has gotten way more streams or plays or views or anything than any other song on Instagram is one that I wrote with Al called uh, Always on the Run. And people freaking love that song. And I feel guilty because I'm like, oh gosh, like I don't know how long it took Al to write the lyrics, but in terms of me like shaping the lyrics and writing the song, I think I spent like 15 or 20 minutes on it. So there's just like such guilt. Like, oh God, I didn't even try hard on that one. And y'all love it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I feel like that's, I might have to go back and listen because I'm still learning like the names, you know, to associate with them myself. But I, for an, a basic listener, like the more simple it is, the easier it is for me to like tap and drum along. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Like I can, oh my God, I can keep rhythm. I could make music. Like that's what people... You know, that's what I think when I'm going with this. And if it's super complex, you know, you almost can't appreciate it because you're so ignorant to all the detail and all the work that goes into complex things. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. You feel like so, but I'm playing all of those. I'm going to play the ones that people want to hear for sure. So. Nice. Um, you said you were a little bit of theater, but you're also like this music savant that gets really into caring about spending a lot of time making stuff. I'm just curious about, were you always, how did you start on your uh, musical journey? How'd you get into writing music, I guess? 
Uh, let's see. The first time I wrote music was in my high school band, <laughs> which was called Trip Tonight. And it was like um, a few jazz players from each of the high schools in the district. Um, and I was just in charge of writing lyrics and melody, which none of them ever heard until the like very last day we were in high school when we went into the studio to record our album. It was like the first time they could all hear me over their own playing, you know what I mean? <laughs> and those lyrics were just terrible and awful, but there's still cassettes somewhere. Um, Dude, that's kind of cool though. You made an actual original album in high school? Totally. Yeah, and those guys were great players. Like I was super lucky that that was kind of my education to get started. Um, all I wanted in life was to be Gwen Stefani, so it was a good match. Um, okay. And uh, then when I went to college, I was studying musical theater, and that I did start uh, writing at that time, um, like kind of very confessional, journaly, uh, jewel type songs, or Anita Franco, you know. And then um, I got out of school. I started doing musical theater. And, you know, on Mondays, the theaters are dark. So that was my night to focus on my own writing. And um, <laughs> my best friend and I that are now in the band called Siren Songs, which is my folk acoustic Americana band, um, we became friends during a performance of a professional performance of Footloose. And uh, on our night off, we went to um, an open mic at the Blarney Stone Pub in um, San Diego, California. It was in a strip mall in the Claremont area. And it was just um, a lot of Irish music and stuff. But on this particular night, we played the open mic, we played our breakup songs. And the owner came up and he was like, I'm giving you Monday night. It's going to be called Bitches in Heat. Go forth. <laughs> so I don't know how long we had this Monday night. I think it might have been two years. But that was where I, that was also crazy good training ground to write a song, try it out, sing the same song every Monday night because people do expect to hear certain songs, yeah. you know, it was. Um, it's the 10,000 hour theory, the Malcolm Gladwell yeah. 10,000, he talked about the Beatles, they got hooked up somewhere, it might actually been in an Amsterdam like strip club or something, but they basically had a gig that was regular, it might have been five days a week where they just played, 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 and they figured out how people wanted it. Yeah. And, and also like, how do, I mean, at the time I just remember being like, I just wish I was on tour and tour bus, but like what great training to have to win over a room on a Monday night for people that are coming out to an Irish pub and you're like, just kidding. It's breakup girl night, you know, like <laughs> it was, um, but we got our own crowd after a while, which was so looking back, I definitely didn't appreciate how well that went and um, what great training it was. And um, the owner paid for my first EP, um, which was really nice. Uh, I mean, amazing. And it, so that was also like, okay, make sure you have some songs. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was kind of what happened. And then I had a, um, uh, a manager um and I kind of was like I'm gonna give up musical theater and go you know try this out on the road and I just remember I didn't have my songs done and we were going up to the studio and he was like well I'll just write a verse for this song and I was like hell no and so that also <laughs> helped motivate me to, to write so 
Did I answer the question? I think yeah. there were other moments where I kind of got pushed into it, but um, it was just this kind of like, whenever I had time from, you know, in between musical theater and then at one point, at some point it, it flip-flopped and I was like, actually, I don't want to tap dance. <laughs> you know, I want to tap dance for you. Yeah. And I want to, um, I, I felt like I was doing the same show every night. And if you don't, um, I was playing Janis Joplin for like two years in a musical. And if you don't do it exactly the same, you get notes, you know, like you have to do it the same. Oh, because you're the director, right? And I'm sorry, that sounds so stupid. When you say you get notes, like the director, someone's critiquing your performance all the time. Well, at that point it becomes the stage manager. The director leaves after you open, but yeah. So yeah, you get... If you do something bad, which I was notorious for doing something bad because I just wanted things to go wrong on stage because I was so bored. <laughs> and uh, so I just would like relish if like a prop was missing or if someone missed an entrance or um, like I used to like walk into walls on stage because it just made me laugh. I mean, just, you know, I just was like, let's just change it up. But I'm also pretending every night. And I just thought. When I write, there's something so, uh, it's like so pure about that art form that I'm writing what I'm feeling truly and honestly and trying to send it out to an audience and have them receive it and have it feel like true and honest for themselves or something. Like there's just some sort of transaction that I was like, that feels so. um, um, Authentic, genuine. Yeah. Yeah, I just, those are exactly the words. Like, it's just, I just loved it. And so as soon as I kind of gave up the apartment, it was like, I'm going to try doing this singer-songwriter thing for six months. The very first show, I was like, oh, this, no, this is it. This is, this is it for me. So that six months turned into, I guess, 14 years. I was wondering when you said that, because you mentioned about your shows kind of basically being the same. And that's what I was curious about. I'm like, so then what was the difference? But you get to be you every night which yeah it would it, i forget what movie it was but it was something similar where this dude had to became famous for being someone else and no one actually wanted like him like it would suck if like no one cared about tom holland all they wanted him to be was spider-man it's like so right. the only way i get this love and you only love me if i'm this fake thing that i have to act as like that would be a very weird way to go through life not being you but being recognized as something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I'm just so comfortable doing my concerts. Like as much as I'm nervous about next week, because I don't know exactly what I'm going to be, how they're going to go yet. Or even um, where you're going to be. <laughs> or even where I'm going to be on which days. I don't know. Um, I, can I tell you how much I love that? <laughs> you are like, Because I'm sure you have so much shit going on, but it was like, it was, I don't know. It was, I appreciated the honesty in that moment. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I feel like I'm going to get yelled at for like, at least knowing your talking points, you know, before like, <laughs> these are the tour dates. Like, uh, check the website. I don't know. Um, Google away. But I, uh, I, you know, you said like nothing changes, but like things do change all the time. Like I will just change the key on a whim and not tell my band. That's kind of exciting. Or like, drop songs or decide to play songs because someone called something out or tell a story that happened that day and it becomes part of the show or um, because it's 
funny or whatever or like you're in a new city so you talk about the city or you're in a new venue you talk about the venue like yeah. there's there's so there's one of my favorite things about performing is the audience because they're part of the show that's why my personal favorite is the live album you know like i love the audiences that i was able to capture for each of those songs like they freaking crack me up like they're there, just i love the things people yell sometimes um there was one not i'm so sorry to cut you off but like it was funny because i was driving home and it was the live album parking lot song and I think it was something like, hey, we usually call this drunk in a parking lot because after the show, we never sing it. And there's always people who come and they're like, hey, play my song, play my song. We're not like, nope, not playing yours, except for you two. You two are special. And we're playing this song that you two love. And it was like such a genuine connection moment that you could tell like you were able to kind of be a little bit of a dick. But like that one where people are like, it's cool that you ignore me. That's part of it. But it, like you had the rapport to do that. It's it was neat. It's so. Oh yeah. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. Like those two ladies that sit in the front and center, I'm like, I you come to so many shows and I of course like you get special treatment. Like if you're the people <laughs> that are front and center, no matter what city I'm in, like of course you get special treatment because I I people like that keep you going. I mean, yeah, shout out to those ladies again. Denise and Leslie, so you haven't know your names because I know I know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can totally see that. Um, and I think from it, it's funny the ad libbing you're talking about versus the ad libbing you were doing on the stage. And if you're a creative, I got trouble for <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And that's what I'm saying. But like, if you're a creative person and you're trying to execute someone else's creative vision, that's a hard place to be to be the assistant or to be the puppet or to be the whatever. And it's like. You could see that as just not being fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. Although I do have to say, like, this musical that I wrote has been so wild, and I feel like it's the best thing I've written. But it was really fun to cast it, have other people sing it, and then be like, no vibrato, I don't want vibrato. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I'm in charge. <laughs> just sound how I want you to sound, and I want you to change that word, or I want to lick there, or, like, it, it's been... Um, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's really fun. So I, I am finding the joy and I, I always knew that I'd probably come back and write a musical at some point. I didn't think I would do it this early, but this is just when the universe was like back into musical theater. So here I am. Yeah. Well, it sounded like you had the time um, before. So just, so maybe you don't get in trouble or so that I can be a decent host. It is again, May 5th city winery, Boston Mace, according to your website. May 6th, Rockwood Music Hall, New York. May 7th, World Cafe, Philly. I might try to drive up to see that, although Mother's Day is May 8th, and that's going to be an early morning for me. Um, May 11th, in Virginia, Jam and Java. May 12th, Ram's Head on stage. We used to have a Ram's Head actually here in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, in Annapolis, Maryland. So, yeah, you can go to your website and see the tour dates. People are wondering. Cool. Thank you. Um, do you want to give like a little musical, like a little summary? So I just went to the Kennedy Center in DC and saw Mean Girls, the musical, mm -hmm. Tina Fey's. And one of the cooler things was seeing how she was going to tweak the movie and add songs to make it the same but different, right? Like you have the same plot, but it's different. And I love people who can figure out how to advance plot through music. 
So you can continue to in the suit, like you can continue to tell the story. You can hear the vocals, but you have to have the music. You have to have all these actions that are selling the music as you're singing. Like it's a ton. It seems like it's a ton of fucking work. Lay Miz, I went and saw Lay Miz, and I'm like, y'all never spoke. The whole thing is singing. <laughs> like, how do you guys do that? So, like, did you have a plot? Did you have a story you were always trying to tell, or did you start with like? music in your mind and it like spread into a formal story um well the truth is that it started as a commission that i uh auditioned for oh so it wasn't even my idea um are you allowed to say that should i edit that out <laughs> no it's, it's in a contract that it wasn't my original idea <laughs> so um it is a true story it's based on um the letters of a 19-year-old girl named Sarah Rosetta Wakeman who wrote home to her parents during the Civil War. She had posed as a man and fought. So the musical is based on these letters. And the great thing about these letters is that she kind of comes off as, as angsty a teen as you might imagine today. You know, really? I think we kind of idealize people that lived in the 1860s sometimes but she definitely didn't get along with her parents very well um and uh so she kind of vacillates back and forth between like i hate you i'm never coming home and and i love you and i miss you um it sounds like a teen like a teen would rather go fight in a civil war than stay at home with their parents totally <laughs> yeah totally um she also brings up questions for me about gender identity because I wonder if she um, she kept kind of signing the letters different male names. So um, I was like, you know, is this somebody that was on the gender spectrum, like gender queer? Maybe. I definitely think she was an outlier black sheep in her family. Um, and I think that could be because she just wasn't feminine and typical ways and that that was really frowned upon to not get married and um, want to have that path. But she also just might've been really ambitious and wanted the opportunities that were afforded men at the time that weren't afforded women. Like, yeah, you know, right. it was illegal for women to wear pants back then. So um, anyway, it's about this woman, but then I also started researching other women that fought for other reasons. Um, there were like 400 women that fought during the civil war. Um, some were discovered, some weren't. Um, and when I wrote, when I got the job, like I definitely heard the music to me. I was like, this is so clearly folk Americana rock. You know, I want to write songs that are somewhat contemporary with, and for, you know, like that would remind you of like Mumford and Sons or the civil wars, uh, or, um, the, uh, the Lumineers or, you know, that sort of, uh, that genre, Brandy Carlisle, or or could they exist in the 1860s? Like the popular songs, like um, I don't know if you remember "Beautiful Dreamer." Da 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 da. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yep. Um, or uh, some of the war songs that were popular, like "Glory Glory Hallelujah." Or I don't even you know, I'm, like too shy to sing. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I set good out. At it. You should kind consider. Of, you should consider a career. You're you're pretty good. The last two things you did. I tried to marry those two worlds and 
in terms of what you were saying about like, oh my gosh, you have to like put, put, plot, push plot forward. I, I did devise a story, uh, tried to fill in the details and, 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 you know, come up with some scenarios and characters um, that, are, that maybe have like one line in the letters. But what was really important to me was to write a musical theater score that would appeal to people that maybe don't necessarily love musical theater. So that you could take the song out of the musical theater context and still enjoy it, which to some extent I was successful because like one of the songs from the score is on my folk Americana album with my best friend, (laughs) my siren songs album. So that worked. And, um, and then other songs I wasn't quite successful because I did want to give them a big note at the end. You know, I did want to have it be like a little dramatic. So I would say the songs, push plot points forward. A few of them push plot points forward because a decision is made or a conclusion has come to, but it is absolutely more about the emotion of the character and maybe the emotional journey they take because of a scenario. It is not a musical where it's like, I'm walking down the street and now I'm getting groceries and now I'm going to the beach. Like it's not that sort of a play by play or anything. Gotcha. It's like, um, yeah, it's really emotional type music and really it is, it's like, it's, it is pop in a sense, you know? So I, and so just to sound really stupid, like this is a real person that I've never heard of in my entire life, or is this a fictional character? Like that's portraying women who did things like these are real letters. Real letters that were published in, they were discovered in an attic in like 1976 and they were published in the 1990s. And then someone gave me this book like four years ago. And I, yeah. And you got into this because you auditioned for one of the roles to act in or someone like reached out to you with this idea? Uh, They reached out to me with the idea and I, I basically auditioned for the commission, not meaning just like, I uh, submitted, they gave me the the book. They said, read the book. Um, We kind of workshopped an outline of plot points and characters. And then we decided on one scene and one particular song. And they said, write that song. And so I wrote that song. And then I got the commission to do the score. Gotcha. Are you, when you do songs, are you words first or are you like music first? Or is that just a really stupid question? No, no. I think people do both things, and I. But I am a lyrics first always. Yeah. Is yeah. there a? Does that right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I because I've never. I mean, back in the day when Eminem came out, you know, I used to get into a freestyle battle or two. But like, I've never tried to make like music. I would beatbox real stupidly when I was in the National Guard. But like, I've never. I've never done music. So I've always wondered, do people get this like flow or rhythm or beat to them? And then they try to put the words in or do they have these words that they try to then backtrack to be like, Oh, horns would go great with that. Or, Oh man, just straight guitar or piano. You know, I think if I'm, if I'm starting to write in lyrical form, like with rhyme, like if I have stanzas and, and, and rhymes going, then I either consciously or subconsciously probably have a sort of rhythm and even a time signature in my head because that's kind of helping me figure out where the rhymes go. Um, 
So even though I'm saying lyrics first, if there's like a feel, if I know the feeling, like the general scenario, and I know it's going to be an up tempo, or you know that helps to kind of know yeah. the beat or the tempo. Sometimes, sometimes I will turn on a beat if I'm like if I need inspiration. Like I'm going to write a rock song, but there were definitely times where, you know, I remember with the um, original producers of this project, uh, I had to write a song about the character uh, seeing themselves in the mirror in a uniform for the first time and what that meant to them and how they saw themselves clearly for the first time. And I was like, this is such a powerful moment. Like, you know, even my dad, who was a Marine was like, I remember that moment clear as day, you know? Um, So I started writing these lyrics and I started on this song and then they were like, Oh, by the way, we needed up tempo. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) What do you mean an up tempo? Like, this is a soaring ballad about this important moment. Um, and it was such a great note. And I think I was mad for like two days. And then I took all those lyrics I compiled and I turned it into this up-tempo and, you know, it totally, it totally worked. So you can kind of come at it from whatever direction. That's funny. I don't know if it's because of how you set it up, but I do picture that moment as like more sentimental than up-tempo. And I feel, I don't know, maybe you can have sentiment in up-tempo, but I feel like it's like a more mellow, intimate moment of you reflecting and like get preparing your courage to come out. I don't know if you hit a moment like that. And especially if you're a female and in, in, in like male Garner and like everything that's at risk Mulan style of being exposed where you're like, I'm going to kick ass. And you know, you're like breaking <laughs> shit. You're like busting down doors with your feet. Like I, I, I feel like you would have to have a buildup of your courage. <laughs> I think what you described is kind of how it ended up going. There's like that, that profound moment of like just total gravity of, yeah. of the situation that does start slow. And I let the character take in that moment. And then there's that moment of pow! And right. like, then it's just joy bouncing off the walls. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of how it ended up being. Was the process for doing this different for you doing the musical than an album? Cause I'm wondering, I guess like most albums kind of have like almost a similar theme, but it seems like each song is its own story, right? Each song is its own thing um, versus a musical where they kind of have to tie in, I would assume. <laughs> so I was wondering, was that process yeah. of writing a little, I don't know, was it different at all for you? It was so hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was so hard. It was so hard. Um, apparently, I have a, like a musical theater voice. Like people are like, "Oh, I hear her musical theater voice. It's a very fresh musical theater voice." So I guess there is some consistency in the score, but I'm. I think I lucked out because I just kind of kept the genre consistent. Like it is rock, it is Americana, it is folk. Um, but I took it just month by month, song by song. Here's how, like, we have to get from point A to point B. And, oh man, it was just so hard. (laughs) Because you were, because you were limited. Like every choice you made, were you like in your head being like, is this Americana enough? Am I drifting away from folk? No, the hardest thing for me was 
finding the lyric that had meaning, that wasn't cheesy, that could be true for the character, but like I said, that could be taken out of context so that people could enjoy it outside of a Civil War musical context, you know? Like uh, finding like the metaphor or just the lyrical phrasing that um, that made me happy. It was, does that, it was so hard. Does that matter to you? Cause you're like a songwriter and you want people to like have a CD <laughs> that they can jam to? Like why, I'm curious like why you cared about that. Um, I think because of my musical theater background, that's the kind of musical I love. Mm. You know, I, I think I love like, um, something like Spring Awakening. <laughs> Those lyrics are so poetic. Like sometimes they almost feel like they have nothing to do with the plot. I mean, emotionally, they certainly do. Or, um, a head, I don't know if you know Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It's, it's a rock musical and those songs are so just, there's nothing cheesy about them. They are straight up rock songs. They're awesome. They oh, don't need to be in a musical, but they do tell the story. It's pretty, that's a genius musical. Um, yeah, I think it's just my own taste. I just, um, I did try writing another musical at the same time that was more like, it was based on a movie. And so I was like, this is so easy. You just take the deck dialogue and you're like mash it up and adapt it into <laughs> lyrics like there's nothing hard about that you know this was like how do I take a letter from 1863 find the meaning adapt it into some sort of like lyrical thesis about life <laughs> so there wasn't like a story that was presented to you it was literally just letters and like you're figuring out the story it's letters and then there's a little bit of like research around it but yeah and you don't even have her parents' responses. You just see her reaction to her parents' oh, letter. Oh, see, I thought like the play was, in my head, I'm picturing like a little plot diagram of like, hey, this is our character arc. This is what we're, you're just giving letters and research and you're really like constructing, you're tying it all together into a story. Yes, yeah. No and wonder I took they paid other, you. Yeah, that's hard. Like, it's so hard. <laughs> I took other historical figures, like other women that fought and I had them all meet um, oh, cool. so that they could interact. It's kind of, I call it like the hidden figures. You know the movie Hidden Figures where it's like three women that worked at NASA? Yeah. Um, they didn't actually work together, right? There were three women that, um, I don't even know if they overlapped at all. But oh, it was really? certainly more interesting to make them friends and like squish their timelines together. Yeah. So I kind of did that. and um, And I also, I just really wanted to write a musical that anyone could see and see themselves in it and see their own teenage self journey and, you know, search for identity. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's really crazy that, so I'm a middle school teacher and they get into the civil war and you learn some facts. I've never taught the units, but I've been around the kids for enough years and been around the teachers. I, like I've never even heard of this Mulan type person. And everyone knows Mulan, you know, like that's a very famous, easy story. And you would think if this person's out there, what a powerful way to give representation to an unrepresented population during a pivotal moment of our country. Like, what are the women doing? I guess they're sitting on chairs making flags. And yeah. you're like, yep, that's all they did, huh? Thanks for the flag, Betsy. And you're like, 
Or or you're like, nah, maybe they were fighting as well. And you're like, were they? Apparently, yes. And like, I've never heard about this, man. It's... Yeah, I know. It's really fun to to write about histories that are so little known. Like, they're just... Yeah, underrepresented. Yeah. I mean, they, they really are underrepresented. That's very cool. And um, so the name of the character again, just because I might have talked over you last time, Sarah... Sarah Rosetta Wakeman. Sarah Rosetta. Is the actual person that you can Google. Gotcha. <laughs> Dude, that is, that's a really neat project. And is the musical, is it like performing somewhere yet? Or you guys are still casting it? What's the... It's all like to be determined. <laughs> gotcha. Is it one of those yeah. things where, and I'm not trying to be rude, like you can't like talk about because stuff's up in the air and people are still trying to make decisions about yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> well, because like, like selfishly, I'm like, will I be able to see this on the East Coast kind of a thing? You know? Oh, I hope so. Very cool, man. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Aside from Les Mis, like Fiddler on the Roof, I got introduced to early on. Oklahoma was like my eighth grade. For some reason, we thought we were cool by like embracing Oklahoma, which probably did not make us cool at all. <laughs> And singing those. Yeah, it's got, a, it's got some dark, edgy moments. I guess, right? But like, I don't know. Like there's Rocky Horror Picture Show, I guess, has a couple of songs where you're like, okay, they could like stand alone. Like what's that? The That's most... a great example. Yeah, yes. right? Time Warp. Time Warp. Um, but yeah, there's, now that I'm thinking about it, Lay Miz, I could just listen to any song. They don't have to be in order. But I think that's because I've watched that so many times where it's like, yeah, but that's also a good example. I mean, like, sure, there's tons of, because it's sung through, there's lots of, like, scenes that where they're just singing kind of, like, there's certain motifs for different characters and there's uh, reprises that are happening. But if you just listen to the album, like, Stars is, uh, right, that's something that, that uh, Javert sings. That's a pop song. On my own, that's a pop song. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Empty Chairs and Empty Tables, pop song. It's like, that's what's so brilliant. I know that that's actually that musical got terrible reviews when it came out in France. I think like they were like, it's too melodramatic, but that's what I'm talking about where he's not like telling the details. He's like empty chairs and empty tables. You know, it's like this visual, um, it's not even a metaphor, right? Cause it is kind of literal, but like the meaning of that is it's a metaphor for their death. And, it's um it's it's beautiful and it's poetic and it's it's not so specific to the story that we're thinking about the actual you, revolution yeah you students. don't have to be in france you're, you're just someone who's yeah. risking your life for something you're passionate about you get to take yeah. it a little out of context totally why yeah. is that it has a lot of vibrato though that that keeps it musical theater it's like my friends don't Dude, we love it. Red, <laughs> the color, and you're just like, wow, that's, I don't so know. So good. It, it's, it's one of those things where you're like three hours into a road trip and you need that pick me up and you're like, yo, let's bump a little Les Mis and let's just pretend like we are they, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Nope, it's um, not just you. <laughs> I'm curious why, I, I don't know your definition for pop. 
Like, why are you saying it's pop? Cause you, and I guess I'm going back to like you being like, I didn't want to be poppy cause I'm more indie. And that's where the nuances of the different genres. I, I don't know. Pop just meaning popular music. Like that a lot of people can appreciate it, sing along, remember it, has a good memorable hook. The changes aren't like so bizarre and sophisticated that you're like, whoa, where did that chord progression come from? You know, it like okay. songs that kind of go where your your ear and your body wants them to go. Got you. And then indie has to be like totally original. Someone hears this never heard before because it's more independent or I know now I'm trying to like make I don't know you. I use indie stuff. like that anymore. Maybe I used to, but I think indie now to me just means an independent artist. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> I think lots of indie people sound plenty pop, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, how did you and your friend decide to finally do the band, to do your own little folk band? Uh, Meredith K. Clark and I. Well, first um, I moved to Portland, Oregon, which had which was just, uh, it was basically for my husband's job. As an artist that's touring or creating a home, I can pretty much live anywhere. As long as there's an airport or a few cities nearby. Although we are, we did to say it's, it's really hard to tour out of Portland, Oregon. But Is anyway, uh, well, just because the bulk of the cities, they're so close together on the East Coast. They're just. Oh yeah, that's something. That's my East Coast bias right there. I was talking to somebody in, um, it's not Seattle. It's not Portland, Spokane, Washington. And I'm like, Oh man, like major city. I'm like, Gonzaga's there. And he's like, yeah, you're like eight hours away from everything. And like, that's it. And it's like, it's its own thing. You can go for four hours in any direction. You're not going to see another place. I'm like, really? Yeah. I'm like, that doesn't happen on the East coast. Like you drive anywhere, you're bumping into cities everywhere. That's, that's a good point. Large market cities. Like, yeah. Lots of audience. So yeah, it's harder. But anyway, so I moved to Portland, Oregon, which is where my best friend uh, lived. And um, so that was fun to suddenly be living in the same city as her. And um, like I said, she uh, is a singer also. And so a theater got in touch with her. Um, I guess I'll give them credit. I think it was Longview Performing Arts Center. And they kind of said, um, hey, you know, we need a concert this summer. Like, do you think you have anything that you could put together? She also writes shows and concerts and things like that. And so she was like, Oh my gosh, like I will ask my best friend who just is a singer and just came to town. So we came up with this um, concert and we called it siren songs of summer. Cause I just was like, let's just have a cheesy alliteration. Alliteration. And, Ain't nothing better. <laughs> and we just, we, gathered songs that either um, I had written that had a summer connotation or a lyric here and there, or we took um, uh, covers that had some sort of summer theme, right? Or a singular lyric or something summery. And we did this concert and um, they, and they, based on that concert, another theater from uh, Astoria, Oregon, is Astoria, Oregon or Washington? East Coast bias. Astoria, the city of Astoria. It's where Goonies is. That's all I know. Um, they oh, hired us for a second concert. And they're like, oh, just do that show. And um, they were going to pay us a lot, lot of money. And I was like, let's take that paycheck we know is coming and let's make an album uh, of this concert. Or at least what we want to put together. So 
in the time between the first and the second concert, we made an album and we'd been singing together on and off for so long that we just recorded it live in two, three days, I think. And um, it was just kind of the most magical, easy musical project I've ever done. <laughs> so it's like, we're getting paid, we're getting paid well, we're getting paid well enough to make an album. We made an album in like a few days. We found an amazing publicist who wanted to work with us right away. The places were able to put our, the places we were playing were able to like put our songs on the radio right away. And right after that second concert, I woke up one morning and um, I had an email from Netflix and it said, Dolly Parton loves your cover of Jolene. And I was like, what? And we had put just like this clip of us practicing Jolene uh, on Instagram and um, Dolly Parton was doing some promotional things that she was looking for all the Jolene's and I guess she found ours and she loved it and so Netflix was like she's going to post it on her Instagram so you might want to get like a website your own Instagram your own Twitter like they were like you might want to get all the socials like by tomorrow (laughs) so I stayed up like all night made the Siren Songs website made you know all the socials whatever and um that was like kind of when we were officially born then we had the album we had all of this stuff and then we were like and we're on dolly parton's instagram so (laughs) siren songs is born (laughs) dude that is crazy so that was the inspiration to actually so you had the album but you hadn't considered like hey let's be a band and let's like tour it's just the album for this like one gig i think we were thinking like let's put out the album and see how it does gotcha you know but we didn't have a website yet, you know? <laughs> so it was, that was kind of, I think, yes, we wanted to get it done, but to make it happen. But Dolly Parton was the catalyst of like, this yeah. is happening. Get your shit together. Yeah. Right. You need that reason sometimes to be like, okay, yeah, let's be prepared for this. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. How do you balance doing like, I guess, is it technically two bands? or being a part of two groups or like your independent, would it be like independent stuff? And then your band with um, your friend? It's really hard. I would say right now I, I put it into um, five groups, five categories. So it's like everything <laughs> I'm doing with Siren songs, everything I'm doing with Alfred Howard, everything I'm doing that's just like solo or with other collaborators, my musical. And then I, Patreon, because I always want to make sure that, you know, like Patreon, I make covers for my patrons. Um, I, you know, do do concerts and videos for them. So like I do kind of, it is part of my full-time job and it is really hard to keep all the balls in the air, but I have an assistant and it is the best thing an artist can do for themselves. So shout out to Rebecca. Um, she keeps me sane. <laughs> yeah, she organized this for me. Shout out Rebecca. Appreciate it getting back awesome. to me. What um and because I, we kind of started with the two that, and I like getting those little advices. Like how I'm super cheap. It would be very hard for me to like reinvest in myself with support. But at the same time, I'm imagining right now like if part of what I hate about the podcasting is going in and the editing and the typing. I love the talking with people. I don't mind like finding people on the internet, but like the grind of just let me clip this out, let me post it it sucks, man. So I'm curious, are you 
frugal like me where I'm like, ah, it doesn't suck enough where I want to pay someone else to do it. So I just keep doing it myself in misery. Like what made you get to the point where you were like, all right, man, I'm going to get someone to help me get organized to free up my time to do other stuff. Um, I think it was just, there was a point, you know, when I was on the road and I was doing so many shows that I'm like, I know I can afford assistant an assistant and I know there are certain things that I just loathe, like certain aspects that even if I, you know, I'm not going to be taking home as much money, my happiness is worth it. And it was like mass emails, um, going to the post office, emails in general. Um, what are some of the other things that were on my list? But I would say, you know, even then it was kind of like, um, you know, like getting, sometimes it's like advancing all the shows, a lot of the logistics with rehearsals and um, renting band spaces, all that stuff. Like sometimes you're like, well, teaching somebody, onboarding somebody is almost more work than it's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was more the struggle that I've had throughout the years. And then uh, I, I just... I don't know. I think I just probably somebody made me do some sort of like facilitation where I had to like write my five-year plan and like, you know, where you've like put in the corner, like all the things you need to let go of or like what your steps are to happiness. And mine was like, you know, find a producer you love to work with and uh, write albums that you are proud of and like have an assistant that makes you happy and that sort of thing. And I, um, I got to Portland and I actually had a friend named Megan who was like, just find an assistant here. And it was really funny because I put an ad a couple places and I had so many responses. I had to take my ad down in like 20 minutes. It was crazy. And I'm positive it's because people thought that I was like the Decemberists or something. Cause I was like, Portland musician needs an assistant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then I had these, like, I like read a, this was the, it was just the most organized I've ever done it. And I, you know, read articles on like what questions I should ask them. I think I made them do some sort of like promotional exercise for me. Oh, because the Dolly Parton thing is happening. So I was like, how would you publicize this on socials since Dolly Parton is going to be posting us on her socials, you know? Um, And I met Rebecca and like, (laughs) they say like, don't hire somebody on the spot. (laughs) I met her and I was like, you're hired. It's you. You're my last interview and you are a godsend. Like I just knew it was our just here's why you should, you just need an assistant that's smarter and cooler than you are. And then you are set. No, there it is. Yeah. And it's worth it. It is worth it. That man, that's, it's so official. I I know, (laughs) I know like you've done albums and stuff, but I feel like when you start having some sort of staff, cause you you just seem so, I I don't know, it's going to sound insulting, but you just seem so like regular. Like you're just a person who talks. You're very talented, but like you're just like you, you don't come across as like this fucking movie star that's like a, a I don't know, I don't want to besmirch them, but like that's a schmuck or arrogant or anything. You just seem very mellow. And maybe it's because you tour and you meet a lot of people. But like then when it's like, well, I have an assistant now, it's like that's a level up. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a fan. It's That's... like more validating than anything else. Like more validating than CD sales. Be- or, or like better than a blue check. <laughs> <laughs> better than a blue check. I got an assistant. What do yeah, I need a blue I check? Yes, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I also don't, um, 
uh, I don't negotiate my contracts for the same reason. Like it doesn't, and other people do that. Like it's, it makes a difference, man. And it's kind of like what you said. I think people, when you're a nice person or you're warm or you're authentic, like sometimes people don't expect you to be talented. It's like they forget that like you can still be good at your job. Right. It's, I don't know. It's, it is really nice to have um, kind of like that barrier. Even the other day was the first time I tried to negotiate a contract because I was in Costa Rica and this festival got in touch with me instead of emailing somebody else. And I was like, oh, well, like, blah, 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 blah. And I wrote back, I was like, this is faster. You know, this is what we usually do, blah, blah, blah. And they wrote back and they were like, um, oh, that's out of our budget. Okay, thanks. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, I just ruined that. Like, this is why you don't do it. So I just sent it off to the people. I was like, mess this up, fix it. And of course, you know, they get right back in touch. There's a contract, everything's fine. I was just like, this is why artists need managers and agents. Like, this is... You just can't, yeah, it, it all helps. It all helps. Was there, you had mentioned, I, I would be so scared to get attached to the Rebecca. And then all of a sudden it's like, like, how, how do you, do you have a five-year plan to keep Rebecca? Do you, do you lock her in somehow? Should we not even bring it up and give ideas? To- I know she's probably going to listen to this. And, but no, my husband is like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> she's she's pregnant with her second child right now. Um, and she's like, basically, you know, works at whatever pace she can during her pregnancies. And um, I I don't even want to think about it. She's just, she's like the best thing ever. Every day I tell my husband how much I love Rebecca. <laughs> I, I, I think it's something that can get overlooked is also like, the trusting support system that people need to actually be successful. And it's not like, oh, I can just jive with whatever this producer or I really get like, I, it seems like creative people when they're ascending, like find their person. And that person just like you become a part of the anatomy. Stuff doesn't happen without that person. And that's, um, yeah. I don't know, maybe I have attachment issues or like fear of um, being, I'm sure there's some clinical term, but like, that thought scares me to be like dependent like that and like need maybe. Yeah. I don't know what the clinical issue would be with me, but like, it's a, like, I I, I don't want to need you, Rebecca. I want to be okay without you. But at the same time, I need you, Rebecca, you know, like it would scare yeah. me. It would really scare I think me. I'm not scared. I'm, I'm, I just feel really appreciative because I've had lots of assistants. I've had lots, lots of managers. I've had, lots of agents. I've had lots of, um, I shouldn't say lots of agents, but a <laughs> cause you're that um, difficult of a star. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, it's no. just, it's like, I would say that's when you say lots of agents. Them. It's, all, <laughs> it's, um, and producers, God, producers is such a hard one. Like that one's really tricky because you have two creative people with two different creative visions. And I feel so 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 lucky that at this point in time i'm i've definitely surrounded myself with people that i just really enjoy that are super fun that are inspiring that like it, you know sometimes it's like you have to remind yourself if it's not fun like why are we doing it sort of a thing and um right now it's it's really fun and it, it is just because the people that i'm working with are so awesome can I get a little insight and it can be hypothetical, but I'm super curious about like a discussion or a creative 
issue that would arise between artist and producer. Cause I'm not even sure where the lines are. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm picturing like you singing in a booth and then the person at the soundboard, like Dre being like, no, 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 like three octaves higher, whatever word it is. And you're like, no, 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 less bass. And he's like, no, 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 more trouble. But I could be completely wrong. So I'm just curious what those conversations are like, why there would be issues. Um, well, like when you're saying like less bass, more trouble, that's, you know, that's your mixer. So that's later. The producer is the person that is going to come up with the production around your song. So the reason that I have often, often butted heads or had just super differing opinions is because there's just differing taste in terms of what sort of music you want to make. So it'll just be like, I mean, I've had a producer... I had this one song and I had a chord that ended it and he was like I will pay you to change that chord please for the love of God change that chord and I was like it is my favorite chord on the whole effing album I'm not changing that chord like in my head it was such a beautiful chord like I loved how it felt sounded like everything about it I knew it wasn't what was expected in the but he was just like in his mind it ruined the song it was so crazy I kept the cord, by the way. Um, but that was an issue. And so that's like a very specific version of what happens. Like, But ultimately, isn't it your song? Like, don't they, and I don't want to belittle a producer, and I'm sorry if I offend him, but like, don't they work for you? They do, but think about what a difficult language music is. You know, because if I say to somebody, eh, I don't like that lead guitar part you're adding over the top, or I don't like that guitar sound like what are they you know how many times you say bring me a different rock like it's just what you have to do is find the person that is just so on the same page as you that they can literally just like read your musical thoughts or just has the same taste so if you say like oh god i wish it could be more like but up 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 like they know exactly what that means not again not even if it's just like a rhythmic theme like if you're just talking about like a feel of something like that you can communicate clearly because you have just a similar palette in terms of what you like. Gotcha. That, yeah, it, it's, thank you for clarifying. Cause it, it does, I don't know, man, it, it's very hard for a layman like me to understand. You always hear about like creative differences and then you're like, well, what, what's the issue? Like you, you've got your song, you want to make it. Why do you even need a producer? Actually, as an artist, that's what I'm thinking out loud. Because you seem very talented. You seem like you know music. You can write a musical. Why do you need producers? Um. So because like so when I even when I'm writing a musical, I did do my own production on the demos, but I really only have to write lyrics and a melody and some chords maybe. So the reason that I have and would still have a producer is because I think even though I love working on arrangements now, that's something that's really grown in the last few years, but I also don't trust my recording knowledge um, or just like what all the infinite possibilities are in a recording studio. You know, like a producer might have great input in terms of like which mics to use. Um, I have no idea which mics to use or which guitars to use or a cool guitar sound I never would have thought of or like, a cool part to add over the top of some song or a structural change I didn't think of, um, or different like, um, sonic ways to fill in all the frequencies, you know, that I might not be thinking of. 
So, um, yeah, like I, there's a, a producer I'm working with right now. His name's Mike Butler. I've never met him in person. It's all been, <laughs> um, long distance, you know? And, um, I just think he has great taste. So I would send him a song with whatever production I had on it to just let him know, like, this is where it is in my brain. And then he could pull it apart and put like a better quality guitar on it. And cause I'm not a great guitar player, like better quality guitar, a better part, layer this on, layer that on. And like, it is so rare that somebody sends something back to me and I'm like, no notes. <laughs> That's oh, like, wow. that is like the most amazing thing ever. And he's definitely done that with some tracks. So my it, my daughter and I watched the uh, um, Olivia Rodrigo Rodriguez Rodrigo um, documentary oh, yeah. on Disney Plus. And there's basically a bunch of footage with her and this dude in a room, who I'm assuming is the producer now. And the dude was like, just like, you know, I really think this would be great for you. And then she like hops on the mic, and he's twerking and like just throwing stuff at her, and she's just giving him feedback. Yeah, what I want to feel is this. So that makes all right. That was a very good breakdown. You should be an instructional teacher as well. Have you thought about teaching people about music? Um, <laughs> I will plug myself right now because I want to do my first ever um, like songwriting masterclass. I was about to say, I could see it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I really, I, I, I don't have an interest in doing it like all the time, yeah. but um, I think it would be really fun to do like an intensive three day, like maybe Friday night and Saturday and Sunday, just like bringing people to their own, finding their inspiration, getting the lyrics down, talking about the type of song and then helping them get structure a demo over the course of like, you know, 10 hours cut up over a weekend sort of a thing. I, I, again, just the, not only that to me, the business aspect of you figuring out how to make this your life, man, is super valuable master's knowledge. What you were breaking down with Spotify and just the hustle of merch and now how you've like adopted or adapted um, is, it, it, I think it's where a lot of artists get stuck. They don't know how to scale or it's a mm -hmm. struggle to scale. And it's like, well, how, what do I do? Like, am I to the point where I should have I should pay someone to do my social media to like make it up. Should I pay Instagram to boost something for me? Right? Like, should I, and I think there's a lot of should eyes out there where people have talent and they don't know how to, do I just wait in line and try to get on American Idol <laughs> and hope for the best. And I mm -hmm. mean, I think a lot of people would be very interested because people have had time and they've had time to create and they, they want to now express this out in the world. That's mm -hmm. so funny that you're thinking about that. No shit. Good for you, man. Yeah, I think I want to, um, it's interesting you say that because the way that I've structured it, and I think Rebecca's built like a, a landing page. We just haven't like launched it yet as a thing. But in the schedule, I did build in, um, of course, I'd want to keep it a small group, but I did build in a couple half hour sessions that are just with me, not with the group. So that if you do want to ask anything, if you do want to like take that time for just questions about whatever, like they can be specifics about the song, but like just time that you have my ear, like I built that in there. Yeah, no, good call. Good call, Rebecca. Was that your idea or Rebecca's? Shout out Rebecca. 
Uh, my idea. <laughs> Great job, Jen. Great job, but I Jen. also looked at a lot of like master classes that people were doing and was looking at like what I liked, you know. Gotcha. So Man. I don't think it was my original idea. Gotcha. A great one nonetheless, man. Great one nonetheless. Is there anything we didn't get into that you're supposed to talk about? Or because you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> or, I know. Uh, I'm like, I, we've been talking so long. I'm like, I don't even remember what my like uh, talking points were supposed to be. I think it was basically like tour. And then you're like, you're here on this day. And I'm like, I don't know. So <laughs> nailed that one. <laughs> that was so good. Was we have so covered good. everything. We've griped about Spotify. We've talked about musical theater right? <laughs> for quite a while. Dude, ah. like you're so like is eclectic the right word for it? I had no idea. Like again, like you you're like great voice, funny little Instagram. Let's see if they come on. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, you got a business mind. Oh my god, you've been touring for 14 years. Look at all these out. Oh yeah, by the way, I can do musicals and tap dance, which I don't even need to show off anymore, you know? And like, you have all these things, man. You're juggling five fucking projects at once. Like that's, I can like, again, just simple teacher mind. Like it's hard for me to walk into three classrooms at different grade levels and know what's going on. And to like give a solid contribution, not just be there, but actually contribute to the betterment of the environment. And if you're creating on five different levels, man, that's, it says a lot about your mind, it really does. Well, thanks. I'm like thinking about the one that I'm like neglecting right now. Like, you know, like they're all like your little children. And I'm like, oh, I need to call that person. <laughs> gotcha. That happens. I've had a couple of people be like, oh, now that you bring that up, Sean, I really should touch base with blank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Jen, thank you so much. Um, since there's nothing else for uh, coming on, letting people get to know you. Um, definitely. Do you know your website? What's the website name? Maybe I should have had it. I'm sorry. My website name is my name. So it's Jen Grinnells, which, yeah, it's hard to spell. So good luck finding me. Oh, man, if you go to Spotify, she's the third one, at least on my (laughs) phone. Just type in Jen, hit a space. Now when I Google, she's the second one that comes up. I don't know who the first Jen is that comes up when I Google, but she's the second one. Um, All that information will be in the description of the podcast. So if you don't want to Google her, you, you can just click on those links. Um, thank you so much, man. And I really hope that I can make it up to Philly on uh, May 7th to um, see your show. It's like two and a half hours away. And then I'm like, do I want to do like the 2 a.m., two and a half hour straight line drive down Route 1 to do Mother's Day the next day? I'm like, ah. Uh. I'll be doing it too. I think, well, we're going back to New York, I think. But Yeah, it's a grind, man. I do. It's a grind. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your energy and personality. And um, I'll be listening to your music now. I'm a huge fan. Great. So fun. Thank you. Marathon podcast. Woo! Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we 
would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.